Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. Good morning, River City. Welcome to Family Sunday. I hope those who are here at 9.30 were able to enjoy our breakfast. Um, it is just another way in which we try to be intentional about family here, and not just family with kids, but whether you are an empty nester, whether you are engaged, all people are sons and daughters to our Father, so we just want a way to fellowship with each other on Sundays, Family Sunday. Also on Sundays, we begin every Sunday with reading a psalm from the lectionary. And it's a way in which we can connect with the global church who are also incorporating various scriptures from the lectionary throughout the world. This Sunday is Psalm 19. And it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man, runs his course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heart, heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Verse 8. The precipice of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The com commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the drip in drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart 
be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If we can bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this poetic psalm in which we are reminded that our words are not lost, that you are so faithful, that you endure, that you never tired of our prayers, our cries out to you. You never get sick of our emotions, Father God. Instead, you embrace it. You embrace the righteousness, Father God. Thank you for your holiness. Thank you for an opportunity to gather together. We think of those who are gathering in your name in secret, Father God. We think of those who are not able to even have a Bible to hold. Thank you for all those things that we are able to enjoy here. Thank you for River City, Father God. Thank you for families and sons and daughters and sisters and brothers, mothers and fathers. Whether it's hurt for any relationships associated with family, even the church family, Father God, we pray that this is a time of reconciliation. We pray for a time of healing. We pray for a time of softened hearts and that you bring to our memory what it means to show grace and mercy. Thank you for being the perfect examples of those. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. and prayers of the people. As I work through this, I'm going to say, Lord, in your mercy, and you guys will respond, hear our prayer. Let us pray for the church and for the world. Grant, almighty God, that all who confess your name may be united in your truth, live together in your love, and reveal your glory in the world. Lord, in your mercy. Guide the people of this land and of all the nations, including our government leaders, in the ways of justice and peace, that we may honor one another and serve the common good. Lord, in your mercy. Give us all a reverence for the earth as your own creation, that we may use its resources rightly in the service of others and to your honor and glory. Lord, in your mercy. Bless all those whose lives are closely linked with ours and grant that we may serve Christ in them and love one another as Christ loves us. If there's someone the Lord has put on your heart to bless and serve and love, please share their name out loud so we can join you in that. Lord, in your mercy. Comfort and heal all those who suffer in body, mind, or spirit. Give them courage and hope in their troubles and bring them the joy of your salvation. If you or someone you know is suffering or troubled in any way, please share that out loud so we can lift that up. Lord, in your mercy. We commend to your mercy all who have died, that your will for them may be fulfilled, and we pray that we may share with all your saints in your eternal kingdom. Lift up the names of any loved ones so that we can remember them with you. Lord, in your mercy.
Lord, we thank you for bringing us here today. We thank you for your tangible presence in this room. We thank you that you will walk with us when we leave here. Lord, I pray we will lean into you this week, that this would just be a jumping off point for the next six days until we're here again. Lord, you are real. You are with us. Pray that we would hear you. In your name we pray. Amen. A really quick announcement you don't know about. A friend of mine, Dr. Chris Green, is coming in on February 24th. And he is a professor at a seminary. He is a theologian. And he has been very helpful formatively in my life. And he's coming in to meet with some of the staff on Saturday and preaching at our church. Um, we'll put some stuff out. But I want you guys to save the date. This will be a pivotal day for our church. You can actually Google search his name. He's someone who has a lot of talks out there. He's actually been in dialogue and even some kind of like uh, some settings that are really helpful to kind of hear what he's about. But he'll be, he'll be with us on the 24th. So I would love it if you could all be here for that. It's another family Sunday coming up soon. Um, today we're going to jump right in to, it's, it's the third Sunday after Epiphany. And for a lot of you don't know what that is. Like if you're from my tradition, you don't have any idea what that is. But three weeks ago, we talked through what Epiphany was. And Epiphany is the idea that Jesus had been revealed. And actually, the Christmas season goes to Epiphany. It doesn't just stop at Christmas, and then it's downhill till next Christmas. It actually is 12 days until Epiphany, and that's when he is revealed to be who he is. And then over the next few weeks, we've been jumping into passages that do that even better. So it's a little bit like we've been turning up the knob to see more of Jesus each week. And this week is a really fascinating passage that I believe is the passage where he, he gets what his mission is in an extremely interesting setting. Last week we talked about the wedding at Cana and how we are the water. In, in our own efforts, we are only ever going to be water. We can't become wine. He has to do that. We're the empty vessels filled with water that he makes beautiful and special we talked about how his disciples saw that and he didn't make it a big flashy thing like we would have, like a promotional tool to talk about. He didn't stop the wedding, everybody gather around Jesus. He allowed the disciples to see it. The disciples believed in Jesus and they moved forward. Some people just thought it was a good day because there's more wine, right? The party can continue. He didn't make it a special emphasis to make sure everyone at that moment believed. Each person's at a different stage and where they would believe. And so this week we're gonna jump into the passage where Jesus takes the scroll that's given to him, he, he labels and recognizes a passage in Isaiah, and he builds his ministry around it. Before we do that, though, a big epiphany in my life, I've had three or four. I haven't had the moment where, uh, this is just me being honest, where I woke up one morning and like the light was surrounding me and I knew exactly that I was supposed to preach forever, but I had smaller ones. But what is an epiphany? Epiphany is when you have an aha moment and you realize something big just happened. Um, for me, do you have the logo? So this is really goofy, but I'll be honest, I passed this sign maybe a hundred times. But I remember the day I realized that G was a half face. Does everybody here know that? That's a half face? Raise your hand if you didn't know that's a half face. Okay, I remember driving around being like, they are, they're geniuses and no one knows it. They have a G half face. It's a smile. It's a half smile because it's goodwill. And it's a G. Geniuses. Who thought it was just a half smiley face? Now you know you have just had a what? 
You've just had an epiphany. So that's one kind of epiphany where things come into alignment. Then there's the kind that like matter for the rest of your life. <laughs> and for me, I remember uh, a story when I was entering seminary. I had just graduated Lee University. I shouldn't have graduated Lee University. I, I have a GED out of high school. No, no education past ninth grade. Really shouldn't even have been in college. Somehow made it through. And um, I remembered I wasn't ready for school, so I needed to jump into seminary like, like I was really prepared to do. Uh, horrifying experience for me to start because I wasn't super intellectual or even cared about school at that moment. I ended up loving school uh, because of what it would be. But I remember when I started seminary, I made three or four of the worst decisions I'd made since my teenage years, which were the same as everybody else's terrible mistakes. Um, and I remember there were some decisions that I made that possibly could affect the rest of my life. Like I was going to have to possibly pay dearly for some of the things that I decided I would let back into my life. And after about a month, I had a personal experience with Jesus that I had been raised around. I'd, I'd been, I knew all the prayers about Jesus, but I had a personal experience with him where I received grace in an area that I couldn't, I couldn't finagle my way to think, well, I kind of did something good to kind of get that. It was a legitimate there's nothing that can be given to me except for a grace gift for me to move from this point to this point. And I had an epiphany. Like it, it literally it made me desire to be a part of a ministry for the first time. It made me want to serve youth for the first time. I received from him. It was a literal world-changing idea that I finally couldn't just speak about not having to pay for the things I did. But now I could actually talk about how, for me, I needed to pay for this. I don't epiphany, right? I've had epiphanies while preaching before. I, I remember when I first showed up at a youth ministry, I was horrified to talk to one person, the largest youth ministry in Tennessee. I was horrified to talk, to, especially to teenagers who are like, they're just beasts. Like they're, they're tigers without a cage. They can chew people apart in a second. They say exactly what they think. They don't care about you. If you look funny, they're telling you. If you're not interesting as a teacher, you're definitely going to know it. And so, but I remember having a couple moments where I was sharing to a group and feeling like there's absolutely something more to this. Not that I can capitalize on, but that feels like there is like purpose in this happening. And having an epiphany, like I think I'm, I'm supposed to do something like this, right? Like I know you've had those moments, but for this, in this passage, this is where Jesus probably realizes, and he's had a, he's had a clue up to this point because he's traveling around to different synagogues and sharing in synagogues, right? This one is different because he's now entering the synagogue from his hometown. So when he walks into this one, they have their liturgy that Jesus actually participated in and followed, but he also had to look around and see, there's my cousin, and there's the kids I grew up with, and there's the kid the rumor's going around about, and there's my family. This is that setting. And in these settings, there's a specific way they would do things. They would show up, they would all face Jerusalem to do a prayer, and then somebody would read a certain text, and then somebody would have the opportunity to preach. And sometimes you could just be like, hey, I'd like to preach. That's like one of my top three nightmares. And if you did that to me, I would just walk out and not know what to do. I'd just be walking around the parking lot if you like try and come up on stage with me and take over. It's too uncomfortable. That's what Jesus does. And it's actually a custom to where if you would like to share, you could. So when it came sermon time. Jesus was the guy. I was like, I'd, I'd like to share some things. At this point, he's just a kid. He's just a kid from the area. 
He's just marrying Joseph's son. He's a carpenter. He's probably skilled at it. I'm guessing he's good. He's probably not a bad carpenter. I've never heard anything to say that. Like, if you want to fight me on that, we probably could. But I imagine he made things that were pretty, pretty marvelous. Pretty, he would probably succeed in today's American culture and probably know how to make some kind of coffee, just, just for everybody to know. So I'm going to read to you Luke 4, 14 through 21, and then we're going to jump around to a couple other passages. And you can open up with me. I'll give you about four or five seconds to get there in your phones. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. At this point, he's teaching. People are like, wow, this guy is, he is he's gifted. Like there's, he's bringing things to life. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And, was his, and, and as was custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. So he kind of scans it, finds what he wants to find, finds the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. If you are old school, if you come from the streams I come from, when you read that one line, there's a song already playing in your head. Am I right? Let's see if we can sing it. One, two, three. That's awful. Let's try again. One, two, three. Anybody? No? This, is there? There's one. This, this, okay, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. That's vibrato. It's okay. Because the Lord. Uh, yes. Nobody's heard this? Who, who, who wrote it? Jesus wrote it. <laughs> That's uh, Lendl Cooley, but yeah, so interesting, interesting story. So anyway, the spirit, this is what he says. So he finds in the scroll this portion, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor or jubilee, which is also another song we could probably sing. And he rolled up the stroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. <laughs> love, I love this about him. And the eyes of all the people of the synagogue were fixed on him. So basically, he did what I'm doing, but he did it way better. He unrolled the scroll, he read things, and then just handed the scroll and went and sat down, and everybody was like, And there's an amazing pause. And he said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Which to them meant he was saying, I fulfill this scripture. Which is, for them, a problem. For them, this would have been extreme heresy. This would have been abuse of doctrine. This would get him kicked out of the church. They would throw him out. And, and they do. And so... I want to share with you just a few moments about if you're one of the people in this community and you've been following him around and you're in one of the churches, you recognize he's gifted. If you're in this community, you're frustrated and upset because you know this is Jesus. But you notice the beginning of this passage says one phrase that I think is important. And it says that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. When we see people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, right, this idea that we want what they have. And there's, there's something really important about 
What happens before this that we have to share? Noah, sit up, dude. I love you. I love this. Is my son, Noah. His his mommy's at home. <laughs> you got to sit up. Pay attention, okay? That just happened. Twenty years from now, you remember this moment. <laughs> I need I need I need my wife. He doesn't feel good. You want to sit with my mama? You want to sit over there with her? This is scary, guys. This you three on the front row is scaring me. I I love you all. I love you all. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray, and you can get settled as we pray, and then I'll move forward. So, Father, I thank you for this passage. And I just pray that as I share about the Holy Spirit's involvement, as I share about what's happening, the motivations, that we would sense and see the things about the heart of the gospel that we need to make sure we get. And that we would sense and see that at some moment we have to have an interaction with this content because you're calling us to be a people who take these things into community. And so, Father, I pray that you would be with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, this is what I imagine. I imagine they see the giftings happening and people want them. Here's the trick that happens with feeling called or even saying something like someone's filled with the Holy Spirit. They don't see the pre-work that's happened. So, up to this point, there's been two other moments where the Holy Spirit has visited Jesus that you have to be aware of. The first one, and it's massive, is the Holy Spirit, as Luke would say, the Holy Spirit comes to claim, comes to test, and then comes to fill, right? We love to be sent by God. Many of us even want to show up at conferences built around the Holy Spirit to be empowered to go. A lot of us don't want to go through the parts that Jesus went through. So I'm going to read this to you. Can you pull up the first passage? Very simple. You've all heard this. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and beheld, behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, the voice from heaven said this, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. The first thing that happens with the Holy Spirit is reminding and showing Jesus that he is pleased with him before the work starts, giving him an identity. My Son, who I am well pleased. It'd be like you praying about going into ministry forever and getting the best affirmation you have ever received or ever will receive before you ever did anything. The start of Jesus' ministry. Your identity is secure. I'm already pleased with you. You are my son. He claims him. The Holy Spirit claims first. The second thing, this is the part we do not like, and we all run from it, and some of us are caught in it right now. You can pull up the second one. The Holy Spirit tests him. There is no legitimate calling without a testing. There's, there's no legitimate way that you can actually carry a calling like going to the, the poor, walking for the oppressed, liberating captives, if you have not gone through the idea of cleansing the appetites of the culture that are already in you, and they are in you, to be powerful, to be successful, to have everything that you and your family need. Like there's a, even a beautiful way our culture can paint that your family is your idol. Your family is not your idol, right? It's Jesus' job to provide for your family. For you to trust in him so well that you trust that he can father and mother your family. This is where we get flawed, though. This is what happens to Jesus after he's claimed, after the Holy Spirit has told him, this is who you are. And you need to know it first before you work. Then he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, yes, he was hungry. That's, I think that's, we understand that. And the tempter came to him evidently emphasizing that he was probably very weak, and said this, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. 
But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. That's number two. Number three. Jesus said to well, actually Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again the te- devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship. Then Jesus said to him, be gone. Satan, for it is written, you shall not worship. You shall worship the Lord your God and him shall you only serve. So he's taken into the desert to be tempted with three things. One, you need to worry about using what you've been given to provide for yourself. Number two, you need to manipulate God into doing what you want for your power. And so there's these ideas of these things that Jesus has to go through before he can actually be called. But what's interesting with his calling, it's almost the opposite exactly of the ways that he's tempted. And are we tempted with this? I'm in ministry in the southeastern part of the United States, which is labeled as the Bible Belt, which also embodies some of the most famous Christians that you have ever met or ever will meet. There are people in our city that will be famous in Christianity forever, ever. So with calling in each of us, many of us are already so frustrated with people in calling because they've, they've bit on one of these apples. Many of us don't even want to wrestle with the idea of calling because we don't want to, we think it's still one of those three things. Many of us are still in a desert of calling. You've got to put those away. You're freaking me out. Because you're killing me. All I can hear is this thing. My kids, connected to my kids, so I'm not a mean person usually. I just lose my track really easily. So I know for me, the temptations of the desert don't look like an actual desert, especially with our callings. But many of us are led by the Spirit out into the desert, feeling confident Jesus will use us, and lock into one of these three things, and spend the rest of our lives building our own kingdoms, or trying to manipulate God into doing what He never asked us to do. Instead of traveling through these ideas of temptations, to get to the point where He can clarify for you what it actually is that He wants you to do, which is what happens for Jesus here. So this makes us ask questions, right? Theologically, those two passages should have conversations around them. They're deep. There's a lot there. But if you get the bottom line of this, one of the things you cannot miss in this passage is Jesus is clearly saying to people what he came to do. What your idea is of the heart of the gospel, you will spend the the largest portion of your life building around it. What your idea is. And I'm not saying your idea is wrong. But I'm saying a lot of people's ideas do not look like what Jesus just said. I want to read you this again. I'm going to bring it up in the original text so that he's quoting from. If you can pull up Isaiah. This is the heart of Jesus' ministry. So you can act, we can say Jesus is most concerned about that we eat at Chick-fil-A. It's very good food. Thank you for, for Chick-fil-A. You could say Jesus is most concerned that we, we don't shop at Target. You could say Jesus is most concerned that we listen to 104.7 The Fish. You can say Jesus is most concerned with us making sure that we get on Facebook and and stick up for somebody who's oppressed. You can say that, you can say all, you can build your life around these things. You can say all these things. This is the bedrock of the entire rest of this passage. What's coming from Isaiah 61. This is what he said 
I am now here fulfilling this, and this is what he builds the rest of his life on. So if you are Christian or, or claim what we claim, this has to be a part of what you consider your mission to the world, or you're not living the true gospel. And this isn't a thing for me to say who's in and who's out. This is a thing to say, I need to examine. Do I believe what Jesus came to do? Do I believe that Jesus came to make what I believe in the most powerful thing in the world? Do I believe that he came to make me the most blessed person in the world? Do I believe that he came only to bless me because he's going to bless more than them? I don't believe that. I don't believe that that's what this is saying. But I want to read you this, Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. I just added a word from the other one. Like I can do that. I can just add words. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Take this in slowly. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives. Label the captives in your life. I'm not even talking about metaphorically. Like let's not be like pseudo just really intellectual Christians right now that are going to break this apart. Just like where are some captives? and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God. Wait a second, what if I do this? What if I decide I'm going to take out, in verse 2, from the word and the day of the vengeance of our God? Would you guys be comfortable if I did that? Would you be comfortable if I was just like, I don't like that? You know what? I want to read this over, and I want to read it without that part, and the day of the vengeance of our God. Raise your hand if you'd be okay with that. Because here's the, here's the interesting part of this whole thing. Do you know that when Jesus reads this passage, you know the part he leaves out? There's one part he leaves out. Which part does he leave out? He does not quote only in the day of the vengeance of our God. And why? What's different about where he's speaking in Luke in this passage? There's one thing that's really different. Jesus is present. So when Jesus is present, he looks at a passage, would be called a heretic, removes the uncomfortable part, and he would have been called someone trying to water down the scriptures. But that's not what he was doing. Because Jesus is standing in the spot of that part. He removes that because that's not why Jesus came. Jesus came to do all of the other things. If you want to fight me theologically about that, then you just need to set up an appointment with Jesus and have a conversation with him because this is what he did. He takes out a part of the Old Testament. There are some people who would read this and believe it's stronger than the version that Jesus read himself. We can't, this is something you cannot miss with Scripture. Scripture is beautiful because Jesus it's not apart from Jesus. It's not over here, and here's Jesus. It is the John the Baptist screaming at us, I'm preparing the way for Jesus. So when Jesus shows up in the New Testament, he comes to fulfill something that is not full yet. So we read the Old Testament, and we love it. But now that we have Jesus, we don't demand those requirements on everyone as if they live in the Old Testament without Jesus. We read the text through the lens of Jesus now who can look at an Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 and reframe it in the context of what it would look like if Jesus was a part of it. Does that make sense? We have to read Scripture through that lens, through the Christocentric lens of Jesus. If something doesn't even make sense to you, 
What is Jesus saying in the context? If you struggle like I do with how an entire nation can be wiped out by an army from our God, what is Jesus saying in that passage? We have the luxury of being on this side of Jesus entering the world. It did change things for all of us. He became vengeance. So he stands up, and there's so much here that I could really lay into that I love because it shows the heart of God, and it shows the heart of the God that I want to follow after for the rest of my life and give my life for and pour me out, God, to be this for others. But the interesting thing, they wouldn't have even cared about this part. They wouldn't have cared about the removal of that part because Jesus just said that he is the fulfillment. So they're not even struggling with, he just removed. They're like, did he just, he sits down, hands the scroll, and they're all like, did he just say that he is the fulfillment? What does that even mean, that he is the fulfillment? That he is the answer? How does that even, what do we do now? You've either got to throw him out or you got to follow him. And that's what happens. People either follow him or throw him out. Because he's saying to them, the old system doesn't work anymore. This long, lines are drawn in and out conversation is not going to work anymore. He says to them, the heart of the mission has to go from, how do we figure out what righteousness required for us to have Jesus to? Who is hurting? Who is broken? And how can I help them? That's the argument shift. And Jesus stands in the place. So if you want to love somebody the way the Old Testament does, stand in front of somebody who deserves punishment and remove vengeance, and then you become Jesus. And then love them so well that they want to receive your Jesus. That's what I believe the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon us to do. And I believe in Holy Spirit power. And I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit is encompassing the entire work of Jesus because the Holy Spirit is not meant to be removed from the work of the gospel. We are in danger I'll, I'll say this, too. In the early church, without the Holy Spirit, a whole different story. They don't have buildings. They don't have big donors. They don't have a cult following. It's not cool to be Christian at all. Like, nobody cares about your cool Christian attire or coffee at this point. They only had the Holy Spirit. That was it. And if the Holy Spirit wasn't working on their behalf, this gospel was not going forward. The Holy Spirit is there to claim him, to test him, and then to fill him, but when he fills him, it's to do a job, and the job is to be done then. And this is confusing for me, because we have churches full of people all over America who are unformed. So the other thing involved in the early church that was a part of their everyday ritual were the spiritual disciplines, which anybody from 40 and under, we are illiterate. If you start talking about what does it look like to sit in front of the scriptures and ingest them for a time, or what does it look like to meditate upon the Lord day and night, we are at, most of us have no idea how to do that. And that's, nobody throwing stones, it's just the reality. So when I look at a passage like this, my, my job isn't to send you on mission. My job is to remind you that you have to be formed by God. You're being formed no matter what, but you have to be formed by God and that comes through spaces with him. So there is a sacred aspect to the gathering of the saints. There is a sacred aspect to communally worshiping in song together, reading prayers together, praying with one another and creating space for someone to say, I'm praying for Jedediah today. There is a sacredness that cannot be removed, or then we have the kingdom without the king, which this podcast that I've been listening to is really just kind of destroying me on the inside but making me ask great questions about what mine and Sarah's heart is for this church, 
which is spiritual formation. God forming us into the body of Christ to send us. We don't want to be famous. We don't want to be coolest. We want to be an eclectic group of people who have fallen in love with Jesus because when they were broken in spirit, when they were prisoners, they were freed from captivity and said yes to Jesus and found a home to be loved by God. This is the body of Christ. And this is how it actually goes forward in this environment, right? It doesn't matter how clever we are at promoting our gospel or what name we have coming in to share the thing that we think will be it. Spiritual formation, time with Jesus, gathering together with the saints, discussing the passages of scripture together, one another, instead of being like, what did he say? I'm out of here. These are important, right? But don't miss that this is his heart. This is the heart of our father. These are the things that he was most concerned with building his kingdom around. This is it. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions. I don't feel like I went too long. I'm going to read you a quote first. It feels like a very important quote. It's probably not going to be nearly as, as great as earlier. So just humor me. Jesus said the gospel was for poor and oppressed, speaking to those at the margins of society. Jesus was announcing that he came to liberate from real oppressive structures the marginalized, the impoverished, the war captives, actual war captives, the poor in health, the political prisoners. Jesus came to turn the economic structures upside down, instituting the year of Jubilee when crushing debts were forgiven and slaves were freed. And you know what the year of Jubilee is, right? That's every 50 years, if you had a debt, you didn't have to pay it anymore. You're super mad if you're the guy that's owed the debt. But if you're the guy that has got to pay the debt, you're like, this is, I'm going to sing the song Year of Jubilee. I'm going to dance around like David did. That's how big of a deal. This is the heart of his gospel, right? And further, I want to read this. Luke wants us to know that Jesus' ministry began upon this earth. It began when the Holy Spirit claimed him at baptism, tested him in the wilderness, and filled him with the power for an urgent ministry of grace to the downtrodden in this world. The Holy Spirit came and taught Jesus what was real, to say no to the false options and temptations in the world and to say yes to God's purposes for all people. Another clarifying and calling is your calling for you alone. Say no. It's a false option. Your calling will be for the world and the body at large. Say no to self-glory in all its forms. I don't even have to riff on that. I don't even have to riff on self-glory in the Christian community right now and helping the poor and the captured of all kinds to say no to trying to get God to do your work. Say yes to working for your God with urgency and compassion. The Holy Spirit comes when we have something to do and, and a God time to do it. That's awesome. That makes me want to follow and scream about the Holy Spirit. Liberating, claiming, freeing, testing. My, my fear is, though, and I'm going to end with this, many of us are, are traveling in a desert right now, still trying to follow out a calling that wasn't prompted by God, but was prompted by our culture and what you think would make you beneficial. I think we just hand those back over. And I think we, we create a spot in our hearts to say, what do you want? And so if you'll actually stand with me for this, I'm going to close. There's a couple of things that will shape your entire life. And this is not me thinking it will. These are shaping everything that you do. Number one. What do you believe is the heart of the gospel? What is the heart of it, the thrust of it? What are all the other things built upon? What do you say, I'm sticking my fingers in this 
and I'm holding on to it, and you can take these other things away, but you are not taking this away. What is the heart of it? What is the heart of it? Interact with that. Number two, what are you called to do with your life? You will spend the rest of your life doing what you think is in that. If you don't have any idea what you're supposed to do with your life, you're in a great spot. You're in a really good spot. You can now, like Jesus, set aside space to allow Jesus to clarify to you, here are the voices to not listen to, here are the voices to listen to. But for all of us, we are all called to be formed by our Father. There is no ex- there's no exclusion from that. doesn't matter how trendy our church is. doesn't matter if you like me. You are called to be formed by the Christ. And that happens with space created to be with him and his people. And it doesn't only happen on your terms. And it shouldn't only look like what you think it should look like. You should be troubled by things and have to talk about them. You should be willing to hear someone say to you, there's something in you that needs to be worked in. Not everybody should say that to you, and you don't want everybody saying that to you. But there's got to be somebody that's willing to look at you and be like, something's going wrong in you, bro, and and I want to walk beside you and help you. You have to be willing to to fall back in love with the idea of repentance instead of thinking it's like the thing that's going to kill the church. It's actually probably going to help us more than anything right now if we can self-assess enough to be like, I broke your heart, I'm sorry. I led you astray, I'm sorry. I said a thing, I'm sorry. I did a thing, I'm sorry. I did that. I wasn't, I didn't make them, I did it, I chose it. That's a beautiful thing. I want my kids to learn that. I want our body to be good at that. I don't want you to run and hide when you feel like there's something hiding. That's not the role. And for our leadership, it's not our job to put on a porcelain face and act like we are better than you. We are you. We struggle with the same stuff. We said yes to a call and are going after it. We struggle with the same stuff. So transparency, vulnerability are all a part of a culture that is ready to repent because it's a beautiful thing. So Father, today, with this body in these moments, let there be an epiphany of what it is you came to do. And many in this room are prisoners, are captives, And many are wandering around in a desert, being led astray by something that felt and sounded so good, like it would provide something amazing. And we are just a humble people. And I just ask you to do this with me. God, I just want to say I'm sorry. And I repent that I believe my ways are better than your ways. And that when that happens, I sometimes block you out because I don't want to hear what you have to say. Forgive me for thinking that you're there to harm me. Help me to realize, God, and fall in love with the fact that you're there and you're the only one, truly, that can guide me. So I pray for each person in Jesus' name that can hear right now that there would be access granted to the presence of the Holy Spirit that can remind people that they are called before they have accomplished a thing that their identity is solidified before they have stood on a stage or done a thing, that you say to them, you are my son, you are my daughter, I am pleased with you, be at peace. Let someone else be reminded if they're going through the testing that these things will form in them what's needed for the calling. Help us to not run from the uncomfort of not being applauded and being told we're wrong 
and people using scripture to harm us like the enemy tried to do with you. Help us to stand that test so that you can say to those enemies, flee from me. And finally, God, fill us so full that we can stand in front of home churches, dinner parties, celebrating churches, office buildings, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, justice to the oppressed, freedom for slaves, captives to be let go, forgiveness for people who do not deserve it. Help us to stand in the place of vengeance, screaming the year of the Lord's favor so that people know that they belong before that they believe. Help us to erase the lines that need to be erased for us to love the way that you love. Help us to not operate out of fear alone that we might lose something. Destroy the barriers we have built that are actually keeping your gospel from penetrating into those dark places. And finally, God, help us to go in the Spirit's power to those places you are calling us to. We love you, Jesus. We thank you that we are the body. We want to stand in that spot and own it. Proud to be the body of Christ. Loving, not drawing hard lines, not expecting our society to do the things we ask them to do before they even understand who you are. Help us to love the least. Help us to be loved. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. For the next few moments, we're going to create a space for people to receive prayer. So if you would like prayer, please come receive prayer. If you would like to jump into conversations, please go out there. We thank you guys for being here. We love you. We'll see you next week. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.